Hello, everybody. It's Leslie Jane Seymour, and I'm here from Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. Some of you may realize that we changed the name from CoveyCast, which really didn't say much, um, to Reinvent Yourself, which is actually what the CoveyCast was all about. So just make that mental note, and we're still the same fabulous podcast, but we have been talking about reinvention, so we just brought that name right to the front so you can find us easier. And be sure, if you like Reinvent Yourself, uh, to give us a review at the end. Give us five stars. Hope you like us. And pass the word to all your friends who are trying to reinvent themselves or trying to figure out how to reinvent themselves. We hope we give you the tips and tricks and tools to do that because reinvention is tough work. And sometimes, as we like to say, you are given the opportunity to reinvent yourself, not necessarily by your choice, but we always have to have a reinvention plan in our back pocket. And we hope that Reinvent Yourself podcast will be one of those tools because we don't want you to have to be out there on your own trying to figure it out. It's You can do it, but you definitely need help sometimes to get there. Anyway, we are here today and I'm really excited to bring to you a good friend of mine who is a super reinventor and multi-reinventor. Her name is Susan McPherson and she is just one of those amazing connectors. I know we've talked about connectors. Um, I'm a connector. I enjoy being a connector. We take people from all different walks of our lives and we just love sticking them in a room together and seeing what happens. And Susan has done all kinds of reinventions on her personal life and her work life. And she has helped other people reinvent. And she really has so many words of wisdom, and she's so gutsy. She moved from Seattle um, after a divorce and just picked herself up and left a whole community that she'd been in, in for 12 years and moved to New York to see what would happen and took the words of wisdom from uh, her father who said, nothing is a prison sentence, meaning that she could always go back, worse came to worse if it didn't work out. And it did work out for her. And um, I think she just has such a great point of view on taking a risk with her whole life. And she's got an amazing business now where she uh, has a strategy uh, business where she helps put together companies and the kind of social responsibility that they want to uh, do for good and she has clients like Ann Inc. and Tiffany Company and J.C. Penney and Girl Rising. And uh, she is just an amazing person. And she has given us a whole wonderful reading list of books that will get you started on your reinvention. So let's welcome Susan McPherson. So welcome, Susan. I'm so glad to have you here on Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. Welcome, Susan McPherson. Thank you, Leslie J. Seymour. You know you're one of my number one heroes, so I'm thrilled Aww. to be here. 
Well, you're one of mine. Susan and I go so far back. It's so lovely. She was one of my original inspirations in the sustainability area. And also really in one of the connection areas, Susan, you were one of my inspiring people. Susan's one of those natural connectors. And you know, I don't know that anybody can grow up and say, I wanna be a connector, but uh, you just are. You're one of those generous people. You walk into a room, you start connecting people, you walk out <laughs> and, and they start having reinventions of their own because of you. So let's just talk a little bit about your own reinvention and, um, you know, it, for you, it's more than just career reinvention. Talk a little bit about who you are, where you come from, and how your reinvention happened. Well, can I say I've had multiple reinventions? Is that Perfect. possible? Yes, we love multi-reinventors. Multi we love you. I often say I've had nine lives at this point in, in my life. But, um, and, and each one, you know, you come back stronger um, and far more resilient. Um, but I, you know, I grew up with uh, working, both working parents, which I think taught me resilience from a, from a very early age. I had a mom that went back to work when I was age six. Um, so that taught me to really be, be, um, be able to handle things on my own very, very early on. But in terms of reinvention later in life, um, I went from working in corporate America to working at a small boutique consultancy. And about the same time the work at the consultancy was winding down, I had a uh, long-term relationship that was also, let's say, winding down. Um, and I had to make some quick choices in my life. A couple of organizations offered to hire me um, as a consultant if I left the firm. And to give you an idea how terrified I was of becoming an entrepreneur and doing my own consulting, I left the firm on a Friday and started on a Monday because I was afraid they were going to change their mind. I never even took no. a day off. <laughs> I know, I know. And I thought if I don't start, you know, 48 hours from now, they're going to go on to somebody else. Right. So lo and behold, that was literally five years ago this September. Wow. And, um, and now, you know, I have 18 members and a thriving business. Wow. And, you know, people always say to me, how did you found, how did you, you know, did you, was this an aspiration your whole life? And actually it was an accidental. It was a placeholder. So at the time, <clears throat> excuse me, I did not think of it as a reinvention, but I bring up the relationship that was coming to an end because if you think about the first year of my business, it was, it was almost like flatlining. It was just going across. Um, you know, I don't know what the bar graphs charts are called, but right. once I made the decision to end something that was very toxic, things just totally came together. Isn't that um, interesting? That yeah, happens a lot. Yeah. Yes. Well, and I think my my advice for, for your community would be, you know, toxicity isn't good for anyone. And mm -hmm. it takes getting out of a bad relationship to realize just how bad it was. Um, but also the amount of energy and and um and you know time and money that I poured into trying to make that successful, I right. could then turn and pour into the business and to myself and to healing. So I think it was the combination of both happening at the same time. The, the fortuitousness of the business helped heal my broken heart and the broken heart um, also helped, you know, just getting getting out of the situation, I was able to look from 30,000 feet and instead pour those resources into what really mattered and what would help. 
Um, now, I, I realize that doesn't sound like practical advice, but it just, it wouldn't have happened if I hadn't have made those two, two things at the same time. But it released all this energy. Oh my God. And it gave you a forward looking opportunity to do something positive for yourself. Yes, yes. And um, because, you know, when you go through, when you go through any kind of loss or grief, unfortunately, I mean, you have to, you have to give yourself time to grieve, but also if you can be filling your, your world with affirming things like a positive business, like colleagues that, that are, um, you know, you're all working towards something together, it can be incredibly fulfilling. And I look back now at that time and I, I just thank, I, thank goodness I ended it when I did, or my business probably would have failed. Talk about what your business is because you Absolutely. do a very rewarding kind of business yes. and talk about what you had done before because Fenton was the kind of business you were in before, but, and this is a version of it, right? Somewhat. I, um, for years worked for a company, actually 17 years, uh, called PR Newswire. Mm -hmm. and we helped organizations, companies around the world get their news to the news media. And obviously the news media was a very different world in the 90s and uh, the early 2000s. What was unique about my role there and why I was able to stay for 17 years was the fact that every two years I was moved on to a new project. Right. I was, and what became- Hold on guys. Sorry, that's just a, some truck backing up maybe? Yeah, there's that, a truck. The New York garbage truck. <laughs> Probably. Oh God, I'm so sorry. That's all right. That's what happens in New York. You'll start to get the leaf blowers and the mowers here. Yeah, yeah, that's true, right? Oh, yes. I think okay. it's gone. Yeah, we're good. Okay. So for you know what, Marissa, hold on. I didn't put in my earphones. Do you need my earbuds, Marissa, to hear get rid of my noise here? I just realized. Um, it's still going to pick up the sound through the microphone either way. So, so. it's okay. You don't need. Yeah. Okay. So for many years, I was what's called an entrepreneur. And what's interesting is when I started the company and I thought, oh my gosh, I have no experience being an entrepreneur. I pulled from my entrepreneurial skills, meaning I was managing projects for two years at a time across borders, across disparate teams. And I, that was a great, those were times that I could really put tools in my toolboxes, a toolbox, if that makes any sense. Mm -hmm. so, but for many years, um, while I was doing that, in my free time, I was always volunteering for nonprofit organizations. And I moved to New York City from Seattle in 2003, going through one of my reinventions, and that's when I went through a divorce. I was 38, starting all over. PR Newswire said to me, come to New York City, we'll cover your costs for four months, if you don't like it, you can go back, which was a perfect opportunity, again, when going through a divorce to make such a dramatic change. So I moved here, didn't know anyone. And the first thing I started to do to meet people was get involved with nonprofits. And it's advice I often offer to younger people. It's a great, safe environment from which to meet and make friends. Heck, you might even find somebody you want to date. Um, <laughs> okay. And, one of the organizations I joined was an organization called Be Peace, Business Council for Peace, which was a network of business professionals that helped women entrepreneurs in regions of post-conflict. And in 2005, I went to Afghanistan with them. And it was honestly the first time that I saw 
business being a force for good. In other words, we would go, go into our networks and find that particular source or contact who knew the hospitality industry, let's say worked for Marriott or Starwood, and connect that person with the entrepreneur that was starting a bed and breakfast or an inn in Kabul in Afghanistan. Wow. So it was a fascinating kind of, um, you know, uh, turning point. Um, and it really helped solidify in my mind that I wanted to work in a world where I was pushing and encouraging business to become forces for good. So in 2010, I left PR Newswire and went to Fenton, which at the time was primarily serving NGOs, nonprofit organizations, um, but wanted to go, the, the company wanted to push into this new world of corporate responsibility. So I was brought on to build their corporate practice. So, but the genesis of all that came from BPeace and my um, traveling abroad and seeing the actual kind of delivery of business helping, um, in this case, women entrepreneurs, that if they could grow their business, there would be less violence in the societies. Um, wow. Yes. So, but the, the connection, the connective tissue all these years was for whatever reason, I was the person within PR Newswire that would help PR Newswire figure out what nonprofits to support. Meaning, you know, who 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 in the organization is going to help us put together, you know, a funding opportunity for a particular nonprofit that will galvanize our employees. What and, fun! Yes, it was. It was truly fun. Um, and basically, that is what McPherson Strategies does. We help bring together corporations and NGOs to help make positive change in the world um, through the lens of communications um, and visibility, uh, both to internal audiences, let's say it's the company and they want to educate their own internal employees and partners and boards of directors, or they want to educate uh, their consuming public and their customers. Um, fun. It is. And it's, it's, it's the nature of the world today. I mean, I'll just tell you a funny joke. I, when I went to the Fortune Most Powerful Women's Conference this past fall, the entire conference was about purpose. Wow. Amazing. So. How, does, um, how does that question come up for you? Because obviously at midlife, that's one of the things um, that my consumer, who um, we're very lucky that the consumer I'm speaking to has the ability to talk about purpose. That is one of our discussions. Someone's crunching back there. I'm gonna stop for a second. Who's crunching? All right, no crunching. <laughs> um, no more, no rustling, no moving things around. Um, but let's talk about purpose, Susan, um, because that's one thing that the Covey consumer um, has the ability to talk about um, and looking for meaning in her life and looking for purpose with her reinvention. And you must hear that a lot. You obviously hear it from your corporate um, clients, but you obviously probably encounter individuals looking for purpose too. How do you find that in your life at this point? Um, it's lucky that we can even ask about that, but how does a person when they're reinventing themselves tap into that and know how to find their purpose? Is there, is there any tricks to figuring that out? Well, it, it's so funny because this world we're living in today, it, it, when I think back, Leslie, when you and I were in college, we spent, you know, probably days and days in the bowels of the library going through microfiche and looking up Encyclopedia Britannica. And today you can find anything and everything at your fingertips. 
with social media, with search engines, and you never have to go through a third party to get to somebody. So to me, looking to purpose is both looking for purposes. Obviously, you need to look internally and find out what you're what you're passionate about, what you care about. But you can't miss the fact that there are hundreds of thousands of challenges that the world is facing today, whether it's, you know, fires from climate change, whether it's hunger, whether it's, um, you know, the, the refugee struggle, we're bombarded with so many things that I, it's almost like you'd have to live under a rock to not find something that you feel particularly passionate about. But how do you find that one that's right for you? For the person that is not sure you know, not everybody, some people, you know, look at the news and they just turn click. it out. Yeah. Well, or they, or they just click and they go, it's animals. Mm -hmm. I relate on, you know, they, or they have a child with an issue and they're in, they're fighting for that cause. They blah, yeah. blah, blah. For some people, they're a little shy or they're not completely sure how to get involved or they feel a little awkward or they're in banking and it feels kind of phony to make that step into something they feel like, what do they have the right to be talking about war refugees? Do you know what I'm saying? How do you cross that barrier? Do you just, and how do you know if it's right for you? Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah, how do you? Yeah, yeah. Well, it's very, very personal. And I honestly think everyone comes to a particular cause for a different reason. I mean, you identified one in the beginning that, you know, if your family or somebody close to you has suffered from a particular issue, you might gravitate towards that. Um, or, you know, it might be something that you see in the news or something local. What I always say, though, is take baby steps, okay? If you're looking for something, you know, it's kind of like dating before you get married. I mean, go to a few meetings of, the organiz of an organization to find out. And you don't have to, like, sign up or write a huge amount of, uh, you know, put a huge amount of money towards, but you can you can kind of go around and, and talk to a variety of organizations and see what resonates, okay? It's a little like throwing spaghetti on the wall. I mean, because if you don't get out and, and talk to these people, you won't know. Um, I also think, you know, th look at who, look at your community, look who you surround yourself with and ask your friends um, and your relatives. Uh, it, 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 I wish there was just like an automatic, like here are five steps because right. it is so personal right. and, and, and it, it does become almost like a love affair. Right. And right. so it, there's no steps to falling in love. It, 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 it's a natural kind of human condition. Um, right. I didn't just decide one day I'm going to be passionate about refugees. Right. Um, I, I was literally recruited to join the board of um, USA for UNHCR, which is the um, UN High Commission for Refugees. And just this past week, I was at the Syrian border visiting refugee camps. I just got back Thursday. But see, but, that sounds so interesting. And yeah. people, and like somebody might think, oh, I'm so interested in that. But like, I don't have any experience with refugees. Like, how do I, you know, like, do you mm -hmm, know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm, like, mm -hmm. Yep. Like it's, Susan seems so, you know, she seems so experienced. She's so worldly. I'm, you know, I'm living in a suburb and I'm in Ohio. And what do I know about refugees? But it seems so interesting. How do I start? Yeah. Well, you read, you, you go to UNHCR's website, you go to other refugee organizations' websites, and you actually spend a little time researching why is there the refugee crisis? 
Who are these people? And what's interesting, and, and specifically around refugees, they're people just like us, okay? They care about their families, they care about their children, they want their, the best for their children, and they want their children to have better lives. They just happen to be caught up in you know, major political or religious strife in their home countries. And I would caution people to not think you can't offer, you don't have the skills, because we all, we, you know, we can do anything and everything. We can help fundraise. We can we can share onto our social networks. Um, we can we can you know run a race and put the money towards you know fundraise for the the 10k the walk that we're doing and put that money towards helping refugees or other causes. But everyone has something to offer, and I I, I don't want people to think oh I can't help this particular hunger cause because I've never been hungry. Right, and that there's a little <laughs> bit of. Well, there's a little bit of that. And yep. there's and then there's also the fear of like, oh, you know, it's just writing another check. Yep. And, um, you know, want to get my hands a little dirtier than that. Yeah. Well, and again, it, it, if you don't have the physical means or you don't have the financial means to write a check, you can still help fundraise and you can still contact your friends and, and host a dinner and, and ask people to pay $25 every little bit helps. It doesn't have to be, you know, this enormous $10,000 check. Right. Um, and I think, you know, my, I did not have experience with refugees. When I first joined the board, I'm going to be completely candid. I did not really know the difference between a refugee, a migrant and an immigrant. So okay. see, so a lot of it has been self-taught. Great. Let's talk a little bit more about reinventing yourself and yes. you came from how long had you been living in Seattle when you picked up and came to New York? I had been living in Seattle for 12 years. Oh, okay. And you just picked up and came to New York. What yes. was the fear? What were you, were you, weren't you terrified? That's pretty I, scary. I, I, I was absolutely terrified. Um, 12 years before or 14 years before I had moved and packed up and went from DC to Southern California in the same situation and didn't know anyone. Um, I, my mother had been killed in a, in a tragic fire in the late eighties. And I really just wanted to start over after that horrific experience. And at the time USA Today offered to move me from Washington DC to Orange County, California. So I had a precedent <laughs> for being able to pick up and go. Um, I think the harder part was I was 38 versus 25 and you know, my life had been my Seattle life. I had dear friends. Um, my ex-husband and I had two dogs. We didn't have children, but they were our babies. And I, but I also knew if I didn't take a chance, I wouldn't, I, I would have been in the same community as my ex. And it would have been very, very difficult to kind of get over that. Um, so it was a bit of, of uh, fight or fright. What is it? Flight or fight? Fight or flight. Um, yeah. Yes. And, um, you know, I when I was offered the opportunity to come for four months and if it didn't work, I could I could go back. My late father said to me, nothing is a prison sentence. Seattle will always be there. Meaning if it didn't work out in New York, I could go back, find some sort of work. And in the back of my mind, I've always told myself, worst case scenario, I can wait on tables because um, I used to be a great waitress. <laughs> so that was my bag lady syndrome, right? You know, God forbid I'm kicked out on the street, I'll go wait on tables. Because um, in college, I made a ton of money doing that, or at okay. least back in the 80s, tons, whatever ton of money meant. Um, but 
so when I came to New York, I, you know, yes, I was terrified. Um, but, you know, I, I've always found that if you don't risk anything, you don't find the reward at the other end. And, and I realize that sounds so trite, but it is true. If we just stay put, nothing new is going to happen. Right. I mean, it's it, it's not like, you know, all of a sudden things are going to change if you sit still. And do you miss your Seattle life at all? What did you gain by picking up and moving? Because I think that's really scary, especially as a single woman yeah. um, at midlife. And yeah. do you miss it? And and what did you gain and what did you lose? Well, what I gained was an, moving to a, a city where you literally you may be lonely, but you'd never be alone. And in Seattle, you're you're oftentimes. I mean, Seattle's a beautiful place, but you are in your car all the time. And if you're going through any kind of loss or grief, being alone is very hard. So to me, I could when I moved to New York, I could when those sad, lonely Saturday nights, I just went out and I walked and I walked everywhere and I explored the city and I watched people. And you know, I'll never forget at first seeing what seemed to be everyone was coupled everyone. And my, my older sister said to me very candidly, she said, you know, you, they may be coupled, but you don't know if they're happy. And yeah, so that, that rung very true, but it, it, in, in Seattle, I couldn't do that. You couldn't just go out and just walk for miles. Uh -huh. I mean, I could get in my car and drive, but you are very solo. You're in your bubble. Oh, so I, I, I gained that. I also, once coming to New York and I'm not advocating for everybody to come to move New York because it does take a special kind of, I think, person to live here and thrive. But everything and anything is here. Uh, you can find people from all over the world. You can find all sorts of cultures. You can join the board. You can, you know, volunteer for thousands of nonprofits that need help. You can get involved in political campaigns. You can go to Broadway shows. You can go to, you know, the libraries. I mean, it has anything. And so for someone who was going, again, going through grief, I, I was able to keep myself busy and, and connect with all sorts of new, interesting, fascinating people like yourself. Right. See? Right. And, you know, I tracked you down. If I, I still remember, I, I wrote you constantly because I had been such a fan of the work that you had done at Mary Claire. Yeah. And, you know, and, and I remember how you had changed Mary Claire from being a very much of a beauty only, um, fashion only to probably the first um, glossy publication that also covered what mattered in the world. And, you know, if I hadn't come to New York, I wouldn't have been able to find you. Yes, okay. no, I remember that. Yeah, you really, I mean, I remember you were one of the few people who recognized all the work that we did about women and women's issues. Mm -hmm. And that was, you know, a really, that was one of the best parts about Mary Claire, though I have to say, I can't take all credit for it. Yeah. It really, it really it took had, a village. It took right. a village and it did, it was part of the Mary Claire DNA early on, um, going back to the 40s and 50s when yes. they launched it. And um, what I did is I just literally just turned up the heat on it and we were doing like four and five articles. And when I left, they just purged it and made wow. it a, they made it a fashion beauty magazine again because the advertisers didn't like the, uh, the intensive women's stuff. But mm -hmm. uh, it was wonderful at the time. Yes. But, we, but the Covey, we're going back. I know, <laughs> I know. And it's a wonderful to see the community just embrace each other. I mean, I, 
I think that the, the fascinating thing about reinvention is you're not reinventing alone. We're all, I mean, going through this together. And I'm actually, I'm, I'm writing a book about resilience and reinvention and compassion and, and how we're all third cousins. Oh, um, talk yes. about it. Well, here's the thing. I mean, I learned early on, and I don't know whether I learned this from my late mother or, or what, but everything you say gets back to whoever you don't want it to get to. And so I learned early on, just don't say anything negative. Just don't. I mean, if you have to say something negative, say it in the shower. And I mean, in, in our world today where, you know, a tweet can go, you know, nowhere or it can go around the world, yes. it's even more important to be that way. And I don't know about you, Leslie, but everyone I meet is connected to somebody else somewhere in my network, yes. whether they live in Europe or Asia or here. And, yes. you know, it's easy to see that now when you go on to the various social platforms. So, again, that rule becomes even more clear. And I also fervently believe that none of us get ahead without each other. None of us. I, you know, yes, there may be few people in the world and, you know, certainly um, in, 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 public, in, the, in the public sphere, we may think that they got ahead because they had complete perseverance, but it takes a village to do anything, to succeed, to get a job. Um, so, you know, certainly when I speak and meet with young, young people, and, and I think this goes for, for women in their 40s and 50s, get online network, even though you're terrified of Twitter and, and, and all these platforms, watch and listen. You don't have to be pushing information out there, but use it to absorb and, and, and see who the people are you want to aspire to be or get to know. I, I'm sure I followed you somewhere before I tracked you down to meet you. Oh, absolutely. See? I'm sure. yeah. And I'm not unusual. Other people can do that. Um, but the, the book is all this notion of, of, of community and, and getting over hurdles in our lives by relying on friendships um, and, and also using those friendships and those connections specifically to make yourself over in a way that's helpful to you and to helping you find your dreams. And I think today, I really believe it's a mix of in-person and virtual absolutely community really bringing these communities together both in real life and virtually um to make it really happen because i think you need both yeah i don't, totally. I don't, I don't think you can do just twitter universe and just facebook friends and nope. i think it has to happen both ways for it to really cement and i i mean and what do you think think I feel like there's something going on right now in terms of community, because I feel it certainly with Covey, that women really want to help each other propel. I feel like women are saying, we have to make this happen for each other. I feel like 10 years ago, 15 years ago, the women above us who are, you know, 15 years older were kind of pulling up the ladder, like you figure it out, chicky. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. um, they really weren't helping us. And I feel like our group has said, you know what, we're going to help each other yep. and I'll give you whatever I can to help. And I'm not looking for a handout backwards. We're just putting the good karma out there. We're going to yep. help each other. Right. I couldn't agree more. In the 90s, it was all about the first women breaking the glass ceilings and bringing no one along with them. Yes. Um, a good friend of mine wrote a book called 90s Bitch. 
and oh, it I yeah by Ali Yarrow, and I encourage your your listeners to to read it. But she talks about the fact that the '90s women failed us because yes. you know, and and also the media then you know when think about when women were covered at that time. It was Tanya Harding, yeah. Monica Lewinsky. Uh, the Bobbit woman, you know, yes. who, who you know was angry at her husband for for due reasons. But yes. that is what was, and then the you know, the Anita Hill um, yes. hearings. Yes. So th that that was not that's part of the reason you know we're still behind here. But I I couldn't agree more with the notion of it both online and offline and craving small like groups as opposed to these oh, giant conferences. That's what, that's what know, Cubby is small. Yep, birds. Yep. Yep. and yep. the. The, the one area I think we have failed of late and, and continue to fail, and I think we have to be more diligent about our, our sisters of color, um, yes. brown and black women, because, um, you know, it, it, it is very easy to kind of just surround ourselves with people like us yes. you know, in, in terms of how you, you know, the, the physical appearance. But yes. we're, we're never going to be powerful enough if we leave those, those sisters behind. Agree. And it means having those uncomfortable conversations. It means not just talking, but actually doing. Agree. And that's something that I personally am really trying to understand. Um, the same notion with, you know, why I just can't, went to Syrian refugee camps is to that I could read and read online as much as I, you know, as much as anybody else and read the news media. But when you sit down and you talk to refugee families, yes. it, 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 it all becomes painfully clear that they are exactly like us. Yeah. So, um, but I, I, you know, not to go on and on and on, but I, I agree with you. It's that personal connection. And I do think we're now at a time where we're, we're over ourselves, you know, and maybe that comes with getting to the age of, you know, I don't want to say how old I am, but oh, this is a safe place. Yes. No, of course. I, I am 53 and I have never felt better. Me too. Other <laughs> I wish I was 53. I'm 61 and it's awesome. Oh my God, you look beautiful. My only, my only challenge is Saturday mornings I love to sleep in. And then I feel, then I beat myself up over it. No, but enjoy it. <laughs> I also joke, I ran marathons in the 90s, back, you know, 90s bitch. And nobody knows because there was no social media. So they, really didn't happen. <laughs> <laughs> so in in closing, Susan, yes. let's get to, you know, like two pointers, because you're such a a good reinventor, God. You've really reinvented, I mean, your entire life, your personal <laughs> life, yeah. your work life. Um, what would you leave these um, listeners with in terms of how to reinvent themselves um, because yours is a holistic point of view. And you're always so, what I love about you, I mean, you know, you've been through, you know, real hell in your personal life and um, you know, you've, you've, and you, you listen to you, you're always like this. What, what my, my listeners should understand is that Susan's always got a smile. She's always got a laugh. She's always out there helping someone else when I'm having lunch with her, it's very hard to get her to start talking about herself. She's always got like five people she wants you to meet and talk about. <laughs> and it's not BS. That's what I love about her is she's got five things on her plates for other people. And that's what I love about her karma. So what two things would you say to these women about they can take tomorrow and start working on for themselves? Is there a book? Is there a, until your book comes out? <laughs> <laughs> What? Um, I would recommend any books by Whitney Johnson. 
Whitney Johnson. Okay. Yes. Uh, she completely reinvented herself and she's a tremendous business coach. Oh. Um, I would also recommend uh, a book by Nilifer Merchant called Onlyness, which talks about the fact that uh, each of our individual, no matter who we are, has something unique to offer the world. Um, and, you know, uh, it, for those, and, and you know Tiffany uh, Dufu's book, um, Drop the Ball, for those who um, are having challenges taking on too much, um, which, you know, maybe uh, this community is maybe past that, that kind of age, but who knows? Um, those would be three I would recommend. Um, I, I would think that the number one thing is let yourself be afraid. It's okay to be afraid. And... I, I always go back to my father's, my late father's advice about nothing is a prison sentence. It is not going to, you can always go back. And I, I and, and that can mean many things, you know? I mean, obviously if you're going through a divorce, you're not gonna go back to your, to your ex-wife or ex-partner or ex-husband, but you, you can find skills in your life that you could go back to to use if necessary. Two, pull together, and I know you've talked about this before, so I, I don't mean to be redundant, but pull together that brain trust, that group of people that you in, in, in really believe in and know that they believe in you. When I first launched my business, even though I didn't know I was launching a business, it was a placeholder, but one of the first things I did was I sent out an email to 150 of my closest and dearest, you know, professional and personal friends and said, the shingle is hanging, okay, I'm open for business. And you know, since that date, every single piece of business that has come to our firm has been inbound. And I, I literally put it towards that letter that I sent out. Wow, really? Well, and I also, over the years, I took all those meetings when people said, can I come and talk to you? Can you help me out? And uh, Professor Adam Grant, in his book, Give, and, Give, Give or Take, or Give and Take, uh, forgive me, Adam, um, talked about you actually get more productive when you take meetings, as opposed to saying, I'm too busy, I can't do this, because it forces you to be more proficient with your time. And over the years, long before I read his book, I was doing that because I'm just curious. I love meeting people. It's like, it's just, it's like a, it's just a passion of mine. So years later, when I started the business, I do believe those people came back in droves to support me. So my advice to your, to your, um, to your audience or to this audience, our audience, is open your doors. Be okay to talk to people. Be okay to talk to people that may not be like you. And believe it or not, for every 10 people you contact, at least three will agree to talk to you. And in closing, I would say, don't position it as, how can you help me? But position it as, I want to get to know you so I might be able to assist you with your project. Or how can I help you solve a problem? Because no one is going to say no to that. I always think that's a good opening and mm -hmm. you have to be sincere about it. And yes. I always find, I know this sounds so totally cheesy and I'm sure you'll agree with it. But <laughs> It sounds like so sound of music, but the more you give, the more yes. you give. Yes. You just give and it all comes back. It's yep. so bizarre, but it totally, absolutely happens. And so those are great. We've got a whole reading list, which I'll type up, which is fantastic. So Susan, thank you so much for your time and oh your- Oh my gosh, thank you.
wonderful effort. And it's such a lovely thing to have you on. Thank you. Bent yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. So I want to thank all of you for listening to Reinvent Yourself with Leslie Jane Seymour. I'm Leslie Jane Seymour, founder of CoveyClub.com. And Covey Club is a real life and virtual life platform where women who are lifelong learners can come to connect and grow. And I hope that you enjoy the podcast. And if you do, you'll give us some ratings. I hope you'll give us five stars and that you will pass Reinvent Yourself along to your friends who are trying to reinvent or may be forced to reinvent. We all know how fast the world is changing today and you never know when you're going to need a reinvention package in your back pocket. And I want to thank you for being here today. And I hope you'll look forward to our next reinvention story with our next guest. We are going to try to be a little bit more regular and we will try to have this for you every week on a Friday coming up starting this fall. Thanks a lot. Take care. Be good.